Welcome to Haftorah, the Shir series, which explores the connections between the Parsha Shavuah and its corresponding Haftorah. And here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, we are on our way to Shabbos Chanukah. It is Chanukah at the moment of this recording, so wishing everybody a Freilich and Chanukah. And that being the case, the Haftorah this week for Parsha Semikates is the Haftorah for Shabbos Chanukah, as usually falls out. And that is taken from, once again, another one of the Treyasar. This is the fifth one in a row. This one's taken from Zechariah, and it starts with Perak Bey's Pasuk Yadal, 2.14, and it goes all the way to Dalad Zion, that's 4.7, so 2.14 going all the way to 4.7. But what I had mentioned um, in the previous shear, where we were catching up for Parshas Vayeshev, because as I had mentioned then, uh, my mother had passed away, we just got up from Shiva, and therefore these shirim are being dedicated um, but what I had also mentioned um, is that the reason why this Haftarah um, today, um, this Shabbos, is going to be from Zechariah, one of the Treyasar, is only because um, it coincided with Shabbos Hanukkah, and, and usually it is that way. However, a couple of years ago, we had a very rare occurrence where Shabbos Hanukkah coincided with Vayeshev, and then the Haftarah for Shabbos Hanukkah was read then, making it so that we would read the very rare Haftar for Parshas Mikes, which comes from Elachim, the story of Shlomo HaMelech, and the Tuzonos, and the baby. And we did a very intense and thorough, elaborate job on explaining the connections between Parshas Miketz and that particular Haftarah. So as I upload this shear, you will also see the link to that shear that we did on the Real Talk Torah series, where if you are curious and want to know why that Haftarah was selected for Parshas Miketz, um, I'll take you deeper than you know, the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, and we'll, we'll see really what the Parsha and the Haftarah are really all about. But today we're going to devote... Um, our time and our attention to the Haftarah for Shabbos Hanukkah, and we'll see how that connects to not just Hanukkah, but as we'll see, even to our Parsha Shavuah as well. So this Haftarah is an obvious choice for Parshas, oh, sorry, for Shabbos Hanukkah, as this is the central place in the Parsha, sorry, in the in the Navi that we find a reference to the Menorah. Now, as it happens. There is another rare occurrence where sometimes, um, very, very rare, where there are two Shabbos Hanukkahs. If Hanukkah starts and concludes um, on Shabbos, so then there are two Haftarahs and the other Haftarah. I don't have it in front of me. I believe it's taken from Malachim as well. And it's a piece of Malachim which describes the menorahs that Shlomo HaMelech made in his, uh, his base HaMikdash, um, which is the first base HaMikdash. But that is not for this year. Maybe in a future year we'll we'll take a look at that Haftarah. But right now we're looking at the description of the menorah as it appears in in Zechariah, and I'll mention that it's not just the you know the appearance of the menorah, the imagery of the menorah that I believe connects the two, um, the, the meaning uh, Hanukkah and this piece of Navi. Um, but this happens to also be the reason why this Haftarah appears in guess which other parsha. I'll give you a second to guess. It is Parshas Beha'aloscha, which begins describing the menorah. There, the Torah talks about Beha'aloscha Saneros, when Aaron Cohen will kindle the lights. And that's something that we're not going to talk about now, because this week is not Parshas Beha'aloscha, so stay tuned for when we talk about that then and there. But right now, we are looking at the Hanukkah connection. But one thing that I'll just point out is that if the purpose of the Haftorah is just because there's a nevuah, 
that Zachariah has of a menorah, so the Haftarah could be much shorter than it is. And as, as I mentioned already, this Haftarah begins in the very end of the second parak and goes through the full third parak, and then it goes um, through a great deal, at least half, of parak Dalad. So if that's the case, if you try to figure out what are the different pieces of the Haftarah, why do we just have, you know, why, why don't we just have the menorah? The menorah is described in the very end of the Haftarah, and when it gets to Perak Dal, the, Torah, the Navi tells us, Vayashav HaMalach Adoverbi, that the angel who was talking to me, Zachariah, um, came back, Ve'arini ki'isha sheriyar mishnasa, he wakes me up from my sleep, fine, Ve'omelei mataro'eh, he says, what do you see? Ve'omar, and I said, Ra'isi ve'vehine menoras zav, kula v'gula al rosha, v'shiva neroseha aleha, Shiva v'shiva mitzukos laneiros asher al rosha. So as I see a menorah made entirely of gold with its bowl on its top and its seven lamps are upon it. There are seven ducts for each of the lamps on its top. And the, and the Navi continues with its um, exotic and esoteric imagery about the menorah. And it talks a little bit more after that. But the question is, what, what else is happening there? Why do we care? And what about all the things that happened before that? Because, again, if it was just about the menorah connection, the Haftarah could have been very, very short. In fact, it would have been seven sukkim long instead of, uh, instead of being almost two prakim long. Um, so, again, the question then is, why do we have all the extra stuff? What is the rest of the Haftarah about? Who was it talking to? So, we'll look a little bit into the text of, of the... Of the of the of the message in its original context, the nevuah who was being addressed, and after that we will jump back into our parsha a little bit because I believe there's what to be said about the connections between Hanukkah and Miketz that are brought out that are born out from this very interesting haftarah from Zechariah. So if you go back to the beginning of the haftarah, we actually have in the vision of Zechariah he sees Yehoshua Hakohen Gadol. We know that Kahuna Gedola was also a very fundamental part of Hanukkah. The 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 Chashmonim, the the the, the Makabim, they were they consisted of Kohanim, and um, he says, "Vayareinias Yeshua Kohen Gadol Omei Lufnei Malach Hashem VaSatan Omei Yalimino Lusitno." The Satan was antagonizing, was prosecuting Yeshua Kohen Gadol, and the Navi goes on to describe. The Navi goes on to describe the the Lavush Begadim Tsoim that the Yeshua Kohen Gadol was dressed in. Excrement fell, feel, um, filled clothes. His clothes were, were filthy, and Chazal tells us this is a reference to the intermarried wives um, to whom he was married, um, non-Jewish women. So why is this relevant? So I think, um, and, and maybe, maybe you've heard someone suggest this before, but my, my 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 suggestion would be that this really resembles one of the real struggles of the Hanukkah story, namely the the assimilation that was taking place where people were adopting the Greek culture and slowly letting go of, of, of the Jewish religion, of, of, of the Torah, that they tried to make us forget your Torah, and a, a real manifestation of that. We know that things are, uh, things are starting to get lost when we see that there's such heavy assimilation. When we start to celebrate the holidays with them and we, we corrupt and, and pervert our holidays and adulterate our holidays and our Yiddishkeit with the other religions and then starting to intermarry. So I think that is a big theme and perhaps that's what it's doing in our Haftarah. And so the Navi goes on to describe how Yehoshua Kohen Gadol has to get rid of these dirty clothes, the, these, these, um, these women that he's married to, and to put on fresh new clothing. So that's one thing that we find in the Haftarah that I think is, is worthy of our notice. But I think there's 
what else to discuss. And it has to do with what we find at the very end of the Haftarah. But I'll get there after we take a little bit of a detour and return to our Parsha Shavua, where we meet Yosef at Sadik, um, who is not in the best of circumstances. He is in jail. And after finally being released from prison, so we know that Yosef becomes the viceroy of, of Egypt. You have a nice rags to riches story. And, you know, where one moment Yosef's at the bottom of the pit and then the next he's on his way to the royal throne, bedecked with jewelry, elegant garments, ultimately named the provider and sustainer of Egypt, taking charge over all the food of the land. Paro praises him. And I think there's a very important and poignant point um, that we find made by Paro when Paro hands over the royal signet ring and tells him, Without your direction, without you, then no man will such as lift up his hand or foot in the land of Egypt. Essentially, he controls all of the affairs in Egypt. Aside from Paro himself, Yosef is the top man. So the question that I would... I would ask about this particular line. It's that it's a little bit troubling that Yosef's new esteem and position about the only thing that's really challenging about it is that Yosef just accepts it. Right? He's showered with all of this grandeur. And what happens to Yosef's humility? Right? And well, what's what's troubling is that if you look at Yosef's life, despite the fact that he was undoubtedly a God-fearing man, Chazal tell us that he's completely scrutinized by the divine eye for his every action, word, and thought. So whenever he displays even the slightest bit of pride or feeling personal entitlement, that's usually when he gets lowered and humbled. Right? In the beginning of Yosef's travels in Parshas Vayeshev, he proclaims his dreams to his brothers, and these dreams, were, um, they were very implicitly stating that he was going to reign over them. And what would happen? He got thrown into a pit, and he was sold as a slave, stripped of his clothes. Later, when Yosef rises up once again as the top man in Potiphar's home, just when he's curling his hair, as the Medrash portrays, Yosef is humiliated by Potiphar's wife, publicly accuses him of abusing her. He's thrown in off his pedestal again into the prison, stripped of his clothes, right, when, when Potiphar's wife pulls the clothing away from him. So... We now have the third time where Yosef is somehow the top man in the prison. And then he interprets the dreams of the chief butler and the chief baker. And at that point, Yosef makes an appeal to the butler, saying that he should remember him, give his name to Paro so that he can be released from the prison. Why? I was stolen from the from the land of the Jews. I didn't do anything to deserve being thrown into this pit. In other words, he argues that he's innocent, he's a good man, and what happens next, we know that the chief butler forgets him for two more years. Not coincidentally, but as Chazal tells us, it was a direct result of his reliance on the butler, and perhaps his apparent lacking in his betachon and Hashem, and Hashem's justice. So, when we consider all of the, the these patterns that we see, Yosef thinks he's on top, he gets thrown to the bottom, so it's not a small matter that Yosef has become the viceroy in all of Egypt. This is his greatest position yet. His esteem has never been greater. And this time, he's actually not thrown off his pedestal. Not only does no one get in his way, but as Paro told him, Biladecha, without you, no man's going to even make a move. And I think it's ironic because if there was ever a time for Yosef's ego to skyrocket, it would have been right now, when he was the second in command at the palace of the most powerful land in the world at the time. So how can Yosef simply accept his glory if he couldn't handle being a servant or prison warden without being too prideful? Why before did God strip Yosef of his pride for merely implying that his brothers would bow to him, but now he allows Yosef the satisfaction of his brothers actually bowing to him? 
Why before did God allow Yosef to be publicly humiliated for merely curling his hair as a servant? And now he allows Paro to publicly rave about Yosef and shower him with jewelry and honor. So the simple answer to this question is that Yosef is a changed man. Even if he had a slight tinge, for we can call it, on his exalted level, if he had a slight bit of gaiva, again, considering Yosef on his own level, it seems that Yosef is now, quote-unquote, mellowed. He has learned to accept his gifts and talents humbly, with humility. And before, even with a little bit of authority and honor, when it would be bestowed upon him, he would let it get to him somewhat. Now he's actually matured during those two years in prison. And I think this is evident in the way Yosef speaks, when Yosef speaks to Paro. Right? We know that the Chazal tells us that the shame Hashem was sugar befiv shall Yosef. Yosef constantly acknowledged Hashem's presence in all of his successes, but there were times where you could argue that Yosef saw Hashem as being side by side with him, and where Yosef said, at certain points, I got to take uh, matters into my own hishtadlus, into my own hands, and I got to rely on, on manpower. And I think that's where Yosef had gone wrong. But what happened later when, when, when Hashem was not just with Yosef, but when Yosef continued to recognize Hashem more and more, that's when things started to change. Not just that Yosef knew that Hashem was there, because that he always knew. But the question is, how much in the front or in the back, where did Yosef, where did Yosef position Hashem in his understanding and within his own mind? Where was Hashem in all of this? Was he just a background character, as it were, or was Hashem the the main player? Right. We, we, it's it's interesting. We could argue that Yosef was definitely entitled, after everything he had gone through, for every for every aliyah that he had, he was entitled to it because of all the eridos that he had to suffer. Every every ascension that he made was a fair one. But what's interesting is if you look in the Chumash, the Chumash tells us that Yosef is bestowed with chayn. He finds favor and grace. He finds grace. He finds chayn in Potiphar's home, the Torah tells us, in Lamed Tess Dalit 39.4. We find the same thing in prison. The, the, the Torah tells us in, in 39.21, in Lamed Tess Chaf Aleph, that Yosef receives chayn. So what is chayn? So the first time that we have chayn in the Torah, Noach is described as matzah chayn b'nei Hashem. Chazal teaches that chayn, or graciousness, refers to an undeserved favor. And in fact, Noach did nothing to deserve the chayn that he got, because by definition, chayn is undeserved. Even if Noach was a big tzaddik, which no one is denying that he was, and Yosef, we know Chazal tell us that he was Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik is one of the only people that's referred to as Yosef HaTzadik, at least by Chazal. Um... Parenthetically, not a lot of people know, but Binyamin was also called Binyamin HaTzadik. Uh, but that being said, we, we, we would have argued that if Noach was a big tzaddik and if Yosef was a big tzaddik, that they were entitled. But that's not what the Chumash tells us about either of them. It says that they received chayn. Chayn, by, again, by definition, you, you don't deserve it. So we, we shouldn't be mistaken. Noach was an innocent, relatively righteous man, certainly not a sinner like the rest of his generation, but he did not actively do anything to be entitled to the divine grace that he was given. And I think the same can be said for Yosef. Yosef was no sinner, and he proved that by overcoming his desires for his master's wife. He did not do the Avera in front of him. But was Yosef perfect? As far as Chazal are concerned, we know that Noach had some critical character flaws, and apparently Yosef must have also. Yosef was great, but not flawless. And if Yosef was 
as truly entitled as he claimed himself to be, then he would not require chayin to bring him to the top in every situation. The fact that the Chumash goes out of its way to tell us that Yosef received chayin, it's telling us that Yosef didn't actually deserve. So accordingly, it was not just the way he carried himself, but the way he thought of himself fundamentally that set the divine judgment against him. And certainly Yosef knew well that ultimately Hashem was arranging the divine plan, but even Yosef had complaints against his law, because that's basically what he says to the butler. He says, I didn't deserve any of this. You didn't deserve any of this? Who said you deserved all the good things that you received? Right? Yosef's argument was, I didn't deserve all the bad that I received. The implication being, anything good that I have, I probably do deserve that. And we see from the word chayin that that is not true. It is not so. So I think that this attitude all changed by the time Yosef was released from prison. Not merely his behavior, but his entire way of thinking. Yosef no longer such as looked at himself as the man, but simply as a messenger of God. And I think the evidence for that is the difference between his presentation before the butler and the baker versus his presentation before Paro when he interpreted their respective dreams. So the butler and the baker... Yes, he acknowledges Hashem. He says, He says, Are the dream interpretations not God's? Nonetheless, relate to me your dream if you please. Compare that to the expression that Yosef um, says before Paro, It is beyond me. It is completely without me. It is beside for me. God will answer the welfare of Paro. Both expressions sound religious. But in the second one, notice the nuance. Yosef has completely removed himself from all credibility. So that if before Yosef looked at dream interpretation, and perhaps all of his success is at least 50% his own, or maybe 1% his own and 99% God's, but now Yosef is declaring that it is 0% his and 100% Hashem. Right? Before he says, tell me the dream, I'll help you out. Here he says, Biladai, it is not me. Hashem will be the one that answers Paro. I am completely not the, the, the entitled party here, says Yosef. He completely realizes, Hishtalis, no Hishtalis, it's all beyond Hashem. And by now, Yosef's glory and accomplishments, he realizes, are not his own. They're God's. And that is why Yosef can handle being the viceroy of Egypt. And I believe that is why Yosef can watch his brothers as they bow to him without feeling that pride, without feeling proud. And that's when Paro tells Yosef, Biladecha, without you, no one will even raise an arm. Paro can tell Yosef the word Biladecha because Yosef knows that in reality it's Biladai. It is, in fact, beyond me, it is beside me, it is ultimately just Hashem. And I think that's why Yosef can suck in his pride a little bit and make peace with his brothers, despite what they had done to him. Because that's exactly what Yosef says later. Hasacha Kimani, am I in place of Hashem? Yosef realizes that... He's not entitled. Hashem is the one making the calls here. And whether Yosef is being graced with Chayin or is being disgraced, he now understands that everything he experiences is directly a result of Hashem's plan. And I think this this theme of Chayin, if you're following the Haftarah to its end, you'll know why it's very relevant and why I believe it's also relevant to the theme of Hanukkah. This is, in fact, one of the most fundamental themes of Hanukkah. Right? The, the, the whole idea... The miracles of Hanukkah, one could have made an argument that the Maccabim, the Maccabees, their military victory over the Greek Hellenists, um, even against all odds, was the result of their intelligence, maybe their military prowess, maybe even a fluke. But if that was truly the case, the sages would not have instituted a holiday of Hanukkah, which is designated completely to thank Hashem. Chazal, I would say, you, you, we, say we say that they were 
B'nai Bina, people who had understanding, right? So there, there are people that don't understand when they succeed, how their success came about, where their success came from. You have to meet, you have to be B'nai Bina, people of understanding to say, wow, we should actually set up a holiday because this was Hashem who did it. To completely thank Hashem because, well, you know, the Maccabees didn't do it. I mean, they, they, they did their effort, but it wasn't just them. And take a look back in our Haftarah. Right? Chazal tell us that the whole miracle came about because of the oil lasting eight days. And that was the miracle that reminded them of the chain that God had graced them. And when we get back to the Navi, look at the very, very end in Perak Dalid. The Pasuk describes where the successes truly come from. And here's where we find it in Perak Dalid. We'll start from Perak Hay. Vayan Hamalach Adoverbi, the angel who had answered me, he spoke up. Vayomer Eli, Halo Yadata Mahima Ela, Vomar Loa Dini. He says, Do you know what these are? Right, there are two olive trees, and they're, they're next to the menorah. And here, what was the response? Vayan Vayomer Eli, Lemor, Zedavar Hashem El Zrubavel Lemor. Hashem says to Zrubavel, saying, Lo Bechayel Velo Bekoach, Kim Ruchia Marashem Tsvakos. He says, It's not by might. Not by valor, not by might, but rather by my spirit. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubel, you become a plain. He will bring out the cornerstone with cheers, with, with shouting of that there is grace to it. The word The word that reminds us that we don't necessarily deserve and have everything coming to us. But Hashem. Hashem says, the Navi says, that it's not through an army, not through strength, but through my spirit. And maybe the word Hanukkah even alludes to this, because the word Hanukkah could actually be broken down to Chein Ko, which means grace is here. And the end of the story of Yosef's life, as well as the miracles of Hanukkah, have to be taken as reminders in our generation, as in all generations prior, that none of us are perfectly entitled. And we have to not make the mistake of thinking that um, the Makali is the Podeh and the Goel, right? That Mimalel, Givarot Yisrael, that, that Yisrael is so mighty, look at, look at, look at us, right? Uh, a, a song that is completely bereft of religious significance and it's really the anti-Hanukkah song because it's not about what we accomplish. The Mesiris Nefesh, definitely. To be most nefesh for the Ratzon Hashem and to do what we need to do. And yes, to put in the Hishtadlis, but not to think that the Hishtadlis is the, is the reason for our success. But no, but the Chain that Hashem gives us, the grace of God. It is the grace of God that allows us to be successful. And this is what we find in the Haftarah. The Menorah is a reminder that everything comes from the light of Hashem. The, it's, it is the light of Hashem, the Chachma, right, that, that, that comes from understanding that Hashem is in charge. The menorah is a, is a symbol of Chachma, is a symbol of understanding, and it is a symbol of recognizing that. And f- f- think about also what Chazal tells about the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash. Hashem needed the light? No. Or Hashem doesn't need the light to see what's happening in the Mikdash. The whole point of the menorah is for us to realize that Hashem is giving us a chance to play along, to be a participant, to be a partner with Him. So we light the Hanukkah light, we light the menorah in the base of Migdash as our way of showing that, yes, Hashem is giving us a hand in the miracle. He'll let us do our Ishtalas, He'll let us do our part. 
but not chas v'shalom, that we should think that we are the ones that caused the miracles to happen. Because, in fact, they are miracles. They are the they are the chain of Hashem, and that is going to be our, our reason for success in any circumstance. So we should have a freyach and Hanukkah and have a wonderful Shabbos Hanukkah at that. And again, if you enjoy this shiur and others like it on the podcast, you want to partner up with us with a sponsorship. So all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. That's the data than base, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. Same place to reach out to me if you want to join the Database Podcast WhatsApp group for updates and links for every uploaded share. If you just have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, once again, just reach out to me at thedatabase.gmail.com. And, of course, have a wonderful Shabbos Hanukkah. Thank you for joining us here at the Database. And again, this year was dedicated to the Neshmas. Chai Rechel Bas David Tzvi, and Hashem Shehavim Aliyah.